Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, this is the Relunchables Podcast. I'm Jordan Holzer, and each episode we'll be breaking down another 90s, early 2000s kids movie. I am not alone. Each episode I'll be having on special guests to help me relive my childhood. This is another busy week for the Relunchables podcast. Not only will we be breaking down Brink, but we're also going to be having on two of the stars of the film, who I mention at the very end of the episode. So you can do the right thing and listen all the way through, or be a little bitch and fast forward to the end. The choice is yours. On this episode, we're covering the 1998 Disney Channel original movie, Brink. For this, I had to bring on my good friend, Alex Heyman, who is probably the only person who loves this film more than me. So let's roll the trailer and that Disney Channel original movie, intro music. Soul Skaters for life. Tonight, catch a Disney Channel original movie, Brink. Oh yes, a massive collab rap. Andy Brinker and his friends all have one thing on their mind. So sweet. To these guys, life goes pretty fast. They're over the top and on the edge of everything. Yeah, man. But these kids aren't just getting through life. Yes. They're taking it to the brink. 900, that's two and a half rotations in the air. Brace yourself for Disney Channel's original movie, Brink, tonight at 7.30, 6.30 Central. I can't wait for you to get the Casper mattress fucking advertisement in the middle. <laughs> can I can I send this over to the ad break? Get me on these. That's all I've ever wanted. <laughs> okay, we'll start it up. And we're rolling. Thank you, Alex, for joining me on the Relunchables podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. For my listeners who don't know, I bring on a new guest each episode to recap their choice of Disney Channel original movies. I've been waiting for this episode for quite a long time because we're finally covering perhaps the goat of Disney Channel original movies. But for you, why did you choose Brink? Oh, Brink, um, Brink is memories. Brink brings me back to my childhood. Um, definitely one of my top two Disney Channel original movies. Um, but it's just a feel-good movie, you know. It has uh, very summer vibes to it. Um, it embodies like being a, a child, youth, you know, freedom, um, sports, skating. So uh, it's comprehensively just probably one of the best movies for me. Oh, I completely agree. Did you identify with skater culture as a kid? Did you skate? I know for me, I kind of always wanted to be ingrained in that culture. I think I bought like, I made my parents buy me these soap shoes when I was like in sixth grade. They just kind of had this plastic underneath that you could so-called grind on like pipes and just like going down railings this was definitely not like the company must have gotten a ton of lawsuits i think the company eventually sold to heelys and that was Healy's, much safer yeah. but uh i always wanted to be part of the skater culture were you ingrained in it did you try to skate or skateboard what were you like growing up so uh, as a kid i feel like uh, especially like watching movies like this and and growing up during the the tony hawk era um i mean skating and skateboarding was cool you know, that's what people wanted to do. Now, was I any good at it? Absolutely not. <laughs> I was terrible at it. Um, I can't say that uh, skateboarding was ever anything I tried, and inline skating really wasn't either. Um, 
I did ice skate, even though that's not closely related. But um, yeah, it was a cool cu- culture. I think uh, even in my later years, I grew up uh, wearing like skateboarding shoes, if that makes sense to you. Yeah. Uh, I don't think those are very popular anymore, but um, it's definitely a cool culture and something I think that kids really you know, looked up to and wanted to be a part of. Um, I think we probably all fell into that at one point or another, especially uh, growing up watching movies like this. Oh, 100%. I completely agree. And I think everyone at one point was wearing like the Vans or the Volcom or all these sort of skater brands that popped up at the time. Uh, So let's get right into the movie. Brink has a runtime of an hour and 39 minutes. It's directed by Greg Beeman and written by Jeff Schechter. It has a 7.1 out of 10 on IMDb and a 76% from the audience on Rotten Tomatoes. This is by far the highest rated film we've done. Every other film has been in like the low 50s. This is definitely one that stands out. It was released on Friday, August 29th, 1998. And it started a nice little three-peat of this, Halloween Town, and then Xenon Girl of the 21st Century, which might be the best three-movie streak ever in the franchise. Would you agree? Yeah, that's that's a huge three right there. Um, <laughs> Halloween Town, obviously a, a instant classic there, um, probably for every kid. Uh, Xenon probably didn't hit as well with me, but it, <laughs> it definitely have a lot of memories from that too. But yeah, that's that's an awesome three in a row there. And I want to bring up our new category, which is the random internet review of the week. And this comes from Justin Tan, and it says, literally the best movie I've seen in my entire life. One of the most important and influential movies I saw it when I was seven years old, and now I go to Harvard. (laughs) (laughs) What do you have to say to that? I don't believe him. I don't believe him for a second. (laughs) I echo the sentiment. It's it's a great movie, but I I just cannot believe he goes to Harvard now. (laughs) So is this saying that if you watch Brink as a kid, you'll go to Harvard? I don't think so, no. No. Okay, let's get right into the categories here, and uh, let's start with, you know, how would you describe the plot of Brink in in under a minute? Sure, sure. So uh, Brink is a high school kid. Uh, He's got a a small group of friends that call themselves the Soul Skaters. Uh, What is a Soul Skater? Obviously, it's, you know, people who don't sell out. They're doing it for the the fun and the enjoyment uh, of the skating. Um, And, of course, as any good high school story goes, he has a rival crew. Um, of opposing skaters called Team X-Blades. They are polar opposites as far as their morals and their beliefs as far as uh, skating goes. And the story basically follows uh, Brink's internal struggles with um, kind of the dilemma between skating for fun and skating for money uh, when some situations with his family come into play. Um, And basically, we follow that story and this competition, this uh, championship skating event between those two teams. I think that was perfectly said, Big Al. Uh, So let's get into some of these scenes. And you can make the case that every scene in this movie is rewatchable and kind of draws you in. And whenever you see it, it's like, I've got to stay for the rest of the film. Uh, But I want to start with the opening credits, which is just amazing. You have the song. We'll get to the music, which is just fucking unbelievable in this movie. But I love the opening credit scene when they're skating to the skate park and then we have the song sooner or later in the background Um, that immediately stands out whenever I restart the movie again. Uh, When Brink gets the skateboarders, especially those guys in the red tinted sunglasses to go beat up Val after Val's kind of taken over the skate park. That's just great. I love I think that's a move that we would have played back in college or as a kid where it's like, hey, these guys were talking shit about you. And you're like, what'd you say? And we're like, no, 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 it wasn't me. It wasn't me. It was them over there. And I don't know. In the opening credits and kind of leading to that scene, 
did that stand out to you as something that, you know, this is just, we're in this? I love everything about the opening scene. <laughs> uh, one of my the most underrated parts of the the opening scene is uh, Brink's friends are waiting on a, a bench for a bus <laughs> to come so that they can yeah. all take the bus down to the beach. And despite the fact that all three of them are sitting on the bench waiting for the bus, the bus still drives past them like they're not there. Like the bus driver knew, like, oh, Brink's not there. We can't stop yet. And it just blows past them. And then Brink, Brink shows up and they're like, Oh man, we just missed the bus. I'm like, the bus didn't even fucking stop. <laughs> you know what? I didn't even catch that. That's amazing. Uh, oh yeah, it's it's classic. But yeah, the the skate down to the park um, with that song overlaid is just incredible. Um, something I looked up to give you a, a random internet look up here is that the soundtrack is only three songs. Yeah. And those three songs hit hard. They are incredible songs. Um, but yeah, they finish their skate down to the beach, you know, jumping over some tables, some bum spills coffee on himself. He, he wasn't expecting inline skaters to jump over him like that, um, which is probably how it would go in the real world. Yeah. Uh, sitting down at your local Starbucks and some guy just flies over your head when he skates. Um, uh, and yeah, then they cap it off with this first, uh, conflict between Val and Brink and his crew. Um, which you think Val wins in the beginning until Brink pulls out this instant classic go up to the the older skateboarding adults, <laughs> tell them, hey, these inline skaters were talking shit, skateboarders are no good, they're wusses. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, you get some, I don't even know what you would call it, it's really illegal, uh, grown adults on skateboards are, are beating up children in high school who are inline skating. It's completely out of line, but it, it's just a great way to start the movie. I, I really love that scene. And the next scene I want to get to is the scene at lunch where Brink puts the worms in Val's sandwich. And this scene really takes me back watching it. And to really set it up, it takes each member of the crew to perfectly nail this prank. You have Jordy, who spills the milk. Gabriella, who then steals the sandwich. Brink puts the worms in the sandwich. And then Petey returns the sandwich to Val unnoticed. And we'll get to this as maybe a possible nitpick. How could you not have known that there's worms in your sandwich before you take a bite of it? But... It's such an amazing scene. And then when Val's about to maybe tell on him with the teacher, they just put up the sign that says, don't be a wuss. And each, each oh, yeah. member of the crew is holding up the individual piece of paper. Oh, I love that scene. It's a classic. And uh, I, I agree. Flawlessly executed <laughs> by the whole squad there. Um, and, you know, just that scene in general has some good feel good memories of uh, bringing your, you know, your lunch to school. Um but to answer your question, you know, how did he not notice there were worms in the sandwich? Well, it was conveniently wrapped in tinfoil. So, uh, you know, he's he's a, an important man. He's talking to his crew. He's just trying to take a bite of his sandwich. Um, <laughs> a little cheap editing trick there. The real worms replaced with gummy worms. But uh, yep. uh, it's good. It's a quality <laughs> scene. Pro probably a, a top five scene of the movie for sure. And then when he goes up to the to the teacher and she's like, what's wrong? And he's like, oh, I just thought I saw a bug. <laughs> and she's like, well, get a grip. <laughs> I just love that because I think we all had that sassy, you know, monitor at the at the lunchroom who just, you know, gave those one liners like that. Uh, the next scene I want to get to is the relay race at the school where they just flat out race. And then, of course, this is where Boomer gets hurt. And Brink stops the race and goes to tend to a rival member of X-Blades, which is pretty uncommon in something you see in a film like this, where you have, you know, two crews that are so in conflict with each other, and yet he's willing to break that down. And we see this throughout the film where Brink's constantly, maybe maybe he's too gullible in a sense, and he always is willing to help the other person. Um, 
but I do love this scene. And of course, this is when he gets suspended. Yeah, I mean, it really sp- speaks a lot to Brink's character. You know, he's he's very good-hearted. Um, the competition itself is important to him, but it probably doesn't mean as much as um, just the love for skating and um, his like passion and adoration for his group of friends. So to see someone get hurt, that's crossing the line for Brink. You know, he had to take a step back, make sure that the guy was okay. Um, but something else to note about the scene is the beginning of the scene. Uh, Gabriella is the one who starts <laughs> off the race, and we get a little bit of sexual tension there at the start. I, I don't <laughs> think we can overlook this for a children's movie. Um, the like, I, I don't know. He's supposed to be like some Eastern European on Team <laughs> Exploits. I, I don't know how he got to California and he's going to this school, but uh, you know, he just he couldn't look past that beauty, and she got the jump on him. I think it's just an, an altogether. It's a classic scene. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She says that uh, classic. I like that in a man. You're so quiet, you know, and he gets, she gets like, the edge on it. Yeah, he, he's like, huh? <laughs> His eyes open up wide. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, the next scene I had is the time montage. This is when Brink is fully fledged in Team X-Blades, and now he's trying to balance school, work, Team X-Blades practice, his own Pup and Suds practice, and it's just showing you have the great music overlaying you know, they're showing the time cards as he goes through the day. Um, and you have that great song, Gotta Look Before You Leap. Whoa, yeah. You know, that great that great song. Can we get um, that one more time? <laughs> one more time for the viewers, the, you know, the if, listeners if, here. If the listeners want to hear it, just go 15 seconds back. You'll get a great replay of my uh, classic singing in this episode. Um, but I do love that scene. And then it's like 1130 and his mom tucks him into bed with that school book on his chest. There's no way he's doing any schoolwork. No, no, not at all. Um <laughs> It is a geniusly written scene. Um, I'm not going to lie. In my last rewatch of the movie, I got a little depressed because it, it makes you remember that uh, you get off of school at like 2 or 3 p.m. when you're in school. And I'm like, fuck, I thought you get off at like 5 or 6 like I do at work. And yeah, it, it's tough to watch these movies because of the memories it brings back. And then you realize like, oh, man, those days are behind me. But uh, a really well put together scene, um, short of, sort of highlighting the the struggles he's having, balancing all these different aspects of his life. Um, but yeah, no, I I agree. And the next one I had is this is going a little bit deeper into the movie. But when Brink finally decides that X Blaze is not for him, and he finds out, you know, of course that Val kind of sabotaged the race where Gabriella falls and scrapes her arm. And he throws the milkshake right in Val's face. And I think that's the scene or the image that stands out from this film the most is just Val covered in chocolate milkshake after he was so upset that he got the strawberry milkshake. And it goes chocolate right to the face. I quit. Throws the blades. Throws the skates right on the pizza. Ruins a perfectly good pizza. Yeah, that was disgusting. I really love that scene. (laughs) So – from the start, Brink is way out of line, tossing a, a bunch of dirty skates on a, a freshly made pizza that this friend group is about to enjoy. Um, there's a couple uh, girls at the table who are innocent bystanders to what's <laughs> happening here. Um, and then, of course, you get the scene with, with Val being like, oh, strawberry shake? What is it? What, what am I, a female? So I, I think we need to take a second to talk about that. I don't know what he's talking about, why strawberry is somehow associated with females, chocolate being more masculine. I don't know where the writer got that. I would love some insight from him uh, on what he was thinking there. Um, but I have that as one of not my most iconic scene in the movie but probably my second most just due to the chocolate shake in the face it's classic um one of the best scenes for sure and then the final scene i had which takes up like 20 minutes is just the final competition and there's so much there 
this is, of course, where we see Pup and Suds win the day in that final race between Val and Brink, the final showdown where, you know, Val is honestly doing a lot of illegal shit, punching, body slamming, Brink into cars. And then, of course, this is where Val plays. Oh, I'm so hurt. Please help me, please. Oh, oh my foot. <laughs> my, my knee. And then when Brink extends his arm trying to help him, Val just throws him down. They got the ESPN cameras right in his face like no one's going to catch him. And then Val comes back, but then Brink goes off the course. I don't even know if that's legal. Gets back in the race and pulls it off. You know, very interesting point you made there. Um, I do love the ESPN guys where he's like, come on, we got to get this. And <laughs> Val throws him down and the guy's like, did you get it? He's like, yeah, I got it. Let's roll. They start running somewhere. I don't know where they're running to because they clearly can't keep up with skaters. Um, but you're right. Brink goes off course. He exits the flags that are keeping you in your lanes. I don't know if that was legal for the race. I don't know if ESPN reviewed that at a later time. There's a lot of unanswered questions that come with this movie. Um, but yeah, he flies out of like a, a two-story home, <laughs> like off the balcony onto the street below. And for some reason, Gabrielle is like, that's my move. That's my move. <laughs> that was never her move. They never spoke about that being her move anywhere else in the movie. I don't know where she got that from again. <laughs> If you can get the writer on the podcast, I have a lot of questions for him. Uh, but uh, a classic scene kind of capping off uh, the evil nature to Val uh, in this movie. So did you have any other most rewatchable scenes or should we crown a winner here? Um, so I had Chocolate Shake as the most rewatchable scene along with this slow-mo head-to-head face-off right before they start the downhill race. Um, this scene has my favorite quote of the movie. Maybe we can get into that later. Um, but one of my favorite parts is that Val does this really slow motion, like head, <laughs> yeah. head turn with his eyes really wide open and his mouth is kind of open and he just stares down Brink. Uh, one of, uh, me and my brother's favorite scenes, we both, um, every now and then when we meet up for family stuff, we'll do that head turn to each other randomly. <laughs> and we, we both just immediately know that that's Val from Brink. Um, so that's, those two scenes are probably my two re- most rewatchable scenes. I, uh, I'd have to give it to the chocolate shake in the face. I think that's the lasting image of this film to me, but you can, are, you can make a case for any of these, to be honest. Uh, let's move on to what is age the best. And let's start with something that we alluded to earlier, which is the music. The music is fucking incredible in this movie. It really captured the alternative rock punk music at the time. I'm going to put in the, in the description of the podcast, a list of all the music that's featured in the movie, but we have Sooner or Later by Fastball, Give by The Suicide Machines, Apology by Clarissa, and then just the end credits song, which it just says, come on, Brink. You know, that it's not a real song. You can't Spotify that or anything, but just classic kids movie music. Yeah, I think uh, that end credits song did not do the movie justice. <laughs> they, they could have done better with that. In fact, I would probably just remove it altogether from the soundtrack <laughs> list. Um, but the three main songs on the soundtrack, um, they fit the movie perfectly. I don't know who they got to decide the the music composition for this movie, but it's incredible. Um, I think during this time, like if you ever played Tony Hawk Pro Skater on the original game on PlayStation, the soundtrack for that hit really well too. Um, I think just during this time, they had a lot of great music being put out there that fit the skating and skateboarding scene. Um, so just well done. Completely agree. I've been listening to this music all week. I can't get it out of my head. It's just been on repeat and it still holds up. Uh, the next thing I have for what is age the best is just the shots of Venice and Santa Monica Pier. As someone who 
you know, lived in Florida and San Diego at the time of watching the movie, but now I live in Los Angeles. It really kind of brings me, oh, wow, this is where I live now. I can, I, I could spot the Santa Monica Pier. I could spot Venice Beach and the skate park out there and the sunsets in LA. It really is just beautiful scenes, beautiful set, uh, set designs. I think it really captures skateboard culture in the 90s. Yeah, I, I think um, perfect decision on where they filmed. The California vibe, of, of course, fits perfectly in with, with the skateboarding scene. Um, and a lot of beautiful shots, you're right. Um, so yeah, I would say that and the soundtrack really are probably the two things that age the best from this movie. What about the X-Blades Clubhouse? That to me has still aged the best because that place is fucking sick. Yeah, you, you want to be there for sure. You want to be really a part do. of that. <laughs> like you got the music playing. They got that like pad of just couches. You have the groupies, the X-Blades groupies over there. I uh, just got Jimmy in his office just running things. It's just honestly, that's that clubhouse. I, when I was watching it as a kid, I was like, that place is fucking sick. How do I get invited to that? And it still holds up when I watch it today. Yeah, and I think we can get into Jimmy a little bit later. <laughs> um, but I think he's a mastermind here at ex- exploiting the youth, and he knew exactly <laughs> uh, what he needed to draw people into Team Exploits so that he could profit off of it. Um, and this clubhouse is definitely one of those things that you're like, fuck yeah, I want to be here practicing with the groupies on the couch with the bottles of water and the music and, you know, all the X-Blades gear everywhere around you. Um, so Jimmy, the mastermind of, of this uh, Team X-Blades here, he, he did a good job. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely the original, like, Instagram influencer, brand sponsor. Like, he was way ahead of his time with some of the stuff that he was doing. Uh, I want to get to... You know, Petey sticking up for Gabriella. We see a lot of gender equality in a 90s movie, which is kind of rare. Every time somebody says dudes or guys, you know, he says or women or female or, you know, girls. And I think that was way ahead of its time in the 90s and probably taught a younger generation, you know, be kinder to, you know, other races, other genders, pretty much inclusion for everyone. Yeah, it's funny you say that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's some other under what's age the worst. So, so yeah, those. we can get to those. Um, I, I rewatched this movie nine times before the podcast <laughs> was coming up here because I wanted to make sure that there was nothing I forgot about the movie. So, yes, it is ahead of its time in a lot of ways, especially when it comes to uh, the gender equality standpoint. And it may be behind in a couple of other ways, um, especially... Uh, in today's day and age and culture, um, there's some things that might not stand up as well. But uh, again, we can get to that when we get to it. We'll get to it. Uh, what about the hair? Val and Brink's hair, it's just perfectly done. It always looks wet. I think the hair really has stood the test of time. Yeah, absolutely. I think the hair for both of them, um, from a casting standpoint, excellent decisions on who they chose. And it fits that skateboarding scene and culture you have the long hair um, it's kind of undone you know they're rebellious they don't have the clean cut Um, they might not even get haircuts we're not sure how long they go in between them but um, it fits well under the helmet it looks good Um, another guy in Val's crew has the uh, old school (laughs) spiked up hair uh, with the gel in it and the double earrings Uh, he's kind (laughs) of a badass as well Um, so the, the hair definitely fits the time and it definitely fits the scene Oh, yeah. And the last one I had is just the skating scenes. The skating is just phenomenal in this movie. And I know it wasn't the actors that got a lot of stunt doubles for these, but you can never it's really tough to tell. Like you could tell at times that it's somebody else. But honestly, they did an incredible job with the skating scenes in this film. What do you mean stunt doubles? (laughs) I thought they were doing everything themselves. 
I hate to disappoint you, but uh, uh, they were not. She's just trying to ruin this movie for me? <laughs> <laughs> Let's just talk about the skating in general, though. How great was the skating? No, no, the skating is great. Um, the tricks are good. Uh, super, like, out of left field on the uh, in the championship on the half pipe, Brink actually just pulls a 900 out of nowhere. He had never done a 900. They spent most of the movie uh, focusing on the the 540, I think it is. Um, and all of a sudden, he just blows out this 900. Uh, but the skating is incredible. The moves are cool. Uh, it's exactly the type of stuff that's going to appeal to kids of the Disney Channel age that are going to watch this. Um, but yeah, it makes you want to get out there and skate, even though you know you can't do any of that shit. Uh, you want to try. <laughs> <laughs> you want to try your best, no matter what that means. Um, yeah, Disney put a lot of movies out that really got children into like, man, I want to do this. That was so cool. Like, let me be a part of that. Um, and and probably no kids ever ended up doing that, but they wanted to, and that's what mattered. Yeah, you bring up a good point. I think I probably bought a pair of skates after this movie. Went out, fell immediately, bleeding everywhere, and I was done forever. So yeah, you I, know what? <laughs> I, I think that's probably a similar experience to most people. I mean, uh, yeah, the, the first time I, I got on a skateboard, I was like, no, fuck this. <laughs> I don't know how to do that shit. Where's the on button on this thing? Yeah, I mean, they make, they make it look so easy, and then you get out there, and you're like, this shit is not easy at all, and I don't have time for that. So. Uh, do you have any others for what is age the best? No, I think that probably captures it all. Um, I think you could put that movie back into circulation today. Um, you might not get the same reaction from kids in today's generation, but I, I think it's definitely something you can watch again and not be like, oh, like that's terrible. Like it, it's definitely still a, a good movie, uh, objectively, you know, taking my nostalgia out of it. Of course, you would just see nowadays one of the kids would just be filming and putting TikTok videos up and, you know, that would be his entire role in the film is just the social media aspect of this. Right. Yeah, there would be no actual inline skating. He would just have a <laughs> VR helmet on. Yeah, and the GoPro. Be, yeah, yeah they, they'd be skating in virtual reality and um, they'd be streaming it on Twitch, you know, but it would be the same type of movie. So let's move on to what is uh, age the worst. And I'll kind of turn it to you, which is some of the maybe lack of politically correct statements. I know Val, you know, tells Gabby, go back to Mexico, even though she's Peruvian. Uh, what do you have to say about some of the things that maybe don't hold up today? Yeah, yeah, I wrote it down. Uh, Val says, well, if you don't like it, why don't you go back to Mexico? And <laughs> Gabriela responds, I'm from Peru, estupido. And, um, yeah, I just don't think that that would, would be acceptable in today's culture. Um, I'm, uh, I don't even, I don't know. It, it's not acceptable at the time either. Uh, well, again, one of those things I'd love to talk to the guy who wrote the movie and be like, Hey, would you keep that in there today? I think obviously he would say no. Um, uh, back in the day, I, I think that probably just flew over kids' heads, um, which is a good thing. I, I don't think they probably picked up on that uh, in the insensitivity there. Uh, but good for Gabriella that she's always standing up for herself and correcting everyone around her and that, you know, part of Brink's crew is doing the same thing. Um, so that's what I had as what aged the worst in the movie was probably that scene and that quote there. What about the double hoop earrings on Val's goon and then, you know, Boomer rocks the one earring look as someone who himself had a one hoop <laughs> earring. I guess this maybe has not aged the worst or has it since you're not wearing it anymore. 
yeah, I think, uh, you know, in the late 90s, <laughs> early 2000s, uh, the earring scene was big and it was cool. And I tried to bring that back uh, in 2011. I don't know that it, <laughs> it worked out too well. Uh, I went with the one hoop on the left ear uh, in a low point of my life. Maybe these guys are, you could argue that they're possibly in a low point of their lives too. But no, I think that's classic 90s, classic 2000s. Um, I don't know that you could pull that look off anymore, but yeah. I'm not against trying it. You know, everything comes <laughs> back at a certain point. Um, perhaps we'll see the double hoop earrings in the future. So for my listeners, if you see Big Al, you know, don't be afraid to spot the double hoop earrings. He may be rocking someday. So just throwing that out there. Uh, what about, you know, talking to friends on the home landline for hours and your dad banging on the door? Hey, I need to use the phone. And honestly, that really took me back to the 90s of staying up late with friends, talking on the landline, and of course, you know, not allowing anyone else in my household to use it. Yeah, I think uh, as far as time goes, that's something that, that wouldn't hold up in today's generation. <laughs> I think they would watch the scene and they wouldn't even know what the fuck was going on. Like, yeah. what, do you, what the hell is that huge piece <laughs> of plastic he's holding there? And why is this guy yelling at him? Um, <laughs> and, you know, I think this... Uh, uh, we might get into this a little bit later, but it fits the scene of the the parents, more specifically the dads in these movies for Disney Channel are always assholes. Um, yeah. Now this is his stepdad in this scene, but uh, yeah, definitely a common theme I noticed that all the dads are just huge assholes. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And we talked about Val's views on a strawberry milkshake. Nothing wrong with the strawberry milkshake, Val. We had a good, you know, a roommate in college of ours who loved the strawberry milk. <laughs> you know, so you know what? I think these views of strawberry have really aged poorly. Uh, home ec class. I didn't have home ec in a cooking class when I was in school. I don't think maybe students now have them either. I don't think this has aged well. Yeah, I don't know what what like decade home, <laughs> home ec went out. But I mean, I was born and grew up in the 90s and you did as well. Um, and this movie, you know, is filmed whatever in the late 90s came out in 98. I think it was. Uh, I don't think people were doing home ec. I don't know what part of the country that would have been in. Certainly not California, if I had to no. guess. Um, so maybe some poor writing there. But, you know, it, it fit what they were going for with that specific scene. Yeah. What about Brink's dad's views on Brink making money on a sponsored team? Has that aged well? I feel like parents nowadays would be much more supportive of kids doing things outside of school, able to make money. You know, you see a lot of influencers, a lot of kids on TikTok are making tons of money. Uh, tons of Olympic athletes now. Do you think these views have aged well? Yeah, so this just goes back to Brink's dad is a complete asshole. <laughs> He's a bum. He fell off something at the construction site. I don't, I'm not sure what he was doing on that because he's the foreman of the construction site, so I'm pretty sure he's just in an oversight role. Uh, but he fell off, a, quote, a beam and just destroyed his back. I'm assuming it was the lower back. He looks like he didn't stretch before he got to the construction yard. <laughs> Um, but despite the fact that the mortgage is coming due on the first, <laughs> the car blew up and was smoking. It's going to cost him $900. Um, he is unwilling to accept that Brink is good at something in his life, which is skating and good enough to the point where he can be getting $200 a week, which I can only assume I don't remember from being a child in the nineties was a lot of money. He's going to be pulling in 800 bucks a month. Um, and the dad is too proud to accept his child's money. 
Uh, he hates skating for, <laughs> for no apparent reason. They actually get in, in, into it later in the movie that he's the one who got Brink into skating, so it's actually all his fault. Um, and just has a complete unwillingness to take that help from his son uh, when he is just a complete bum sitting at home on disability, <laughs> not doing anything. Um, but yeah, I think in today's day and age, any parent would not be stupid enough to turn down, uh, some kid, you know, going viral and becoming big on YouTube or Twitch and making hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. I think, uh, myself, if I were to have a kid as a parent would be ecstatic and proud for my child to be having that kind of success. Disney did not think so when they, (laughs) when they allowed this to be written into the movie. Honestly, Brink's dad is just super salty. He's so jealous of his son. You know, Robin Riker, who plays the wife, Maddie, is way too good for him. Honestly, I bet there's some scenes that we may have not seen where Brink's dad is drinking heavily, maybe oh, beating yeah. maybe beating his family, to be honest. Like, hey, he is not a good dad. Yeah, I don't think that's too far of a stretch to say that he probably beat Brink at some <laughs> points. Um, there, there's uh, one thing I like the most is that I don't know. Presumably, we can say since it's high school that Brink's maybe around 16 years old, possibly 17. Um, and they make a point of it that Brink's dad really just had his first real conversation with his son uh, at high school age. So I don't know where the parenting was before that. Uh, clearly, he was a bit absentee as a father, and you know, very reluctant to go and have those conversations with his son. You know, meanwhile, <laughs> you have the mom who's like. Uh, super sympathetic and really understanding and loving and caring. And she's trying to be the voice of reason between this father and son uh, relationship that's clearly struggling. Um, So yeah, I kind of echo that sentiment that, you know, she's just too good for him. Yeah. I know we probably stepped on the coolest parent award, so there's not going to be any surprises when we get to that, but uh, let's move on to, you know, which actor or actress would you have thought would have made it big after watching this? And we have a lot of options here. We have, Eric Von Dedden, who, of course, played the iconic Andy Brink Brinker. We have Katie Volding, who played his sister, Katie Brinker. Uh, Sam Horrigan, who played Val, same last name, Horrigan. Uh, Christina Vidal, who played Gabriella. Asher Gold, who played Jordy. Patrick Levi's, who played Petey. Walter Emanuel Jones, who played Boomer. I think it's really between, you know, Eric Von Dedden and Sam Horrigan, the character, you know, the actors who played Val and Brink. Who would you give it to if you watched this back then and said this person's going to have a really long acting career? Yeah, I would have went with the big two. I would have thought that it was um, either Val or Brink uh, that would go on to do a lot more movies uh, and TV shows in the future. I actually looked it up. I think Val had the most like comprehensive full list of, of movies and shows that he ended up appearing in, which is not surprising to me because I think he did a phenomenal job acting in this movie. Um it does surprise me that Brink did a little bit less uh, in the future. He had the perfect look for this movie. I don't know that he had the perfect look going down the road in other films. And quite honestly, I, I didn't think he was a very good actor. I think Val carries a lot of the movie. Um, so, yeah, I would definitely have said Brink or Val, though, as far as you know, who would go on to do a lot more. Yeah, I'll probably give it to... Val and Sam Horrigan. I just thought that was a much difficult, much more difficult role to pull off because you had to be the asshole villain, but you had to be sympathetic in a way where Brink is like, okay, I'll join Team X Blades. And even his character is kind of sympathetic because he ends up putting the team ahead of his rivalry with Brink. At the end of the day, he wants Brink on Team X Blades. And a lot of people can't kind of swallow their pride and say, we need him to win. So, you know what? I think there was a lot of great acting there. Yeah, you know, I, I put down that. Val is the quintessential movie villain. 
he plays the role perfectly um and for the audience watching the movie you love to hate val you love all the the jokes he's pulling on everyone and ragging on people um and you hate him for all the things that he's doing wrong the cheating the hurting gabriella but you know you stay really connected to his character and you just you can't help but want more from him um so just a great job acting there and you know very disappointed to see that sam horgan actually does not even have his own wikipedia page so (laughs) after the podcast i'm gonna go set that up for him i think it is a complete injustice that our our boy val doesn't have his own page and brink does even though brink's acting career just didn't turn out the same yeah and we'll get into more of uh Sam Horgan, when we get to some half-assed internet research, because he's not doing so well right now at the moment, actually. Uh, let's get into what was the most Disney moment? You know, these Disney movies were always trying to teach you something while they were entertaining you. What lessons were we supposed to take away from Brink? Yeah, so the main lesson here, it comes in that one heartfelt scene where the dad finally talks to his son after 16 to 17 years of life (laughs) living under his roof. Um, And it's probably his one redeeming moment in the movie uh, where he becomes a person again and has a connection with his son. Um, And he says, skating is what you do, not who you are. And I think that that just, you know, it really hit home for Brink. It brings him back to what's important in his life, and you know, it's that's it's not the money. Um, skating is his passion, but it's not who he is. You know, it's completely separate from his love that he has for his friends and his friend group, and how much he cares about them. And you know, that's kind of his turning point in the movie as well, where he's like, you know what, fuck Team X Blades. We're going Team Pup and Suds. I'm bringing it back to the boys. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think that's the lesson there: is just not to define yourself by what you do. Um, but who you are. I think that was perfectly said. I just want to expand on uh, Ralph Brinker's quote. He says, you're defined by the company you keep and how well you keep it, not by what you just happen to do. And I think this is something I got told a lot as a, as a kid from my parents, which was, you know, look who your friend group is. Look around you. That's how you're defined. Whether you like it or not, the people you surround yourself with, those are the people that are going to define who you are. And it really hit home seeing it again, even on the screen. And I think it was a good lesson for kids to learn. It was the only lesson maybe Brink's dad had throughout the film. And then something that Gabby says when she's heard in bed and Brink comes to visit her, she says, and he's trying to explain to her, you know, I did this to help my family out. And she says, that's how it all starts. You start doing something for love. Then you start doing it for money. And before you know it, you're just another sellout. And I think a lot of people can relate to this now in their own jobs. Well, maybe they got into this maybe because they liked it, but it's mostly comes down to money. And then once you get hooked on the money and the lifestyle, it's tough to give up. And then 20 years later, 30 years later, you're like, how did I even get here? Yeah. I mean, you know, just you reading that, it gave me chills. You know, it gives me chills <laughs> every time I watch it and I hear Gabriela say that. Um, Cause on the one hand, you know, you can empathize with Brink and his family's struggles. And he's really, he's just trying to help provide for them by doing, you know, something that he's good at. And I think she says, you know, we all need the money Brink, which is uh, completely out of line from Gabriella. (laughs) We'll get to that in nitpicks. I definitely have a, have an area for that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, at the same, uh, on the other hand, you know, you agree with her that, uh, you know, he's, you know, he's being a bit of a sellout here. And I think, uh, you know, this can apply in our everyday lives as well. Um, you should try to keep you, you know, your passions and your work separate if possible. Um, I think a lot of the time you'll, you'll find that if you mix work and passion, eventually that passion will just become work for you. 
Um, so I think that that was a good reminder for Brink um, about why he was doing skating, you know, why he's a soul skater and he does it for the love, not the money. Um, but yeah, it's kind of a, I see both sides of it there. It kind of reminds me, and this might be a stretch, this reminds me a lot of Breaking Bad, actually, and when Walter finally, when Skyler, his wife, says, you know, you did this for, and then he interjects, and he goes, it was for me, and it wasn't for the family, even though the entire run of Breaking Bad, he says, this is for my family, I need to leave something for them, and at the end, he's finally able to admit to everyone, I did this for me, and I think when Brink is talking to his dad, and he says, you know, I joined Team X-Blades to provide for the family, but also, I wanted to be part of the best of the best. I wanted to have my name in the magazines and the commercials, and I wanted the gear and the money and the, all the notoriety that comes with it. And I thought that was such so interesting because you could have just made Brink a very one-sided character and Val very one-sided where Val's this asshole and Brink's this just perfect human being. But even, even Brink himself is able to succumb to that kind of fame and notoriety like any of us, it would be natural to want at that age. Yeah, I think especially at that age, um, just excellent writing that they put that in there to know that, hey, Brink's just like everybody else, and he's an incredible skater, and he wants to enjoy the luxuries that come along with that just like anybody else would. So pulling on that internal struggle for him uh, is great for the movie. Um, it creates some some drama and some conflict for everybody, um, but it is good that he eventually he does admit that to his dad and be like, you know what? I wanted this too. You know, I wanted to help, but I wanted the fame. I wanted the gear. The gear looks good. Let's gear not forget great. the Team X Blades gear looks good. Uh, anybody would want that. Um, and yeah, and then his dad says, "Yo, you know what? You and me, we're we're completely alike." <laughs> and, and Brink's kind of looking at him. He's like, "The fuck's this guy talking about?" And his dad's like, "You know, I like going into work every day and being like, hi, I'm a construction foreman.'" And Brink's like, hey, "Fucking bum, dad." But I guess I kind of get the comparison you're trying to make here. I don't know. I don't, I don't think top skater in the country really relates to uh, construction foreman that fell off a beam. But, you know, at least the, the dad, he went for it there. I give him credit for that. Um, it's not really closely relatable at all. But, hey, we can't all be great skaters. I'm so glad you brought that up. That was not relatable at all. Hi, I'm, I'm the foreman. Okay, so what? Big fucking deal. He's like, yeah, go fall off that fucking beam, you bump. <laughs> okay, let's uh, let's move on here to uh, the coolest parent award, and I think there's three options. We have uh, David Groff, who plays, of course, Brink's father, Ralph Brinker. We have Robin Riker, who plays Maddie Brinker, and I'm gonna throw in our boy Jeffrey Blake, who plays Jimmy. He's not a parent per se, but he's kind of a parent to the Team X Blades. So, which one of these three would you have loved to have growing up? Can I throw in a wild card there and say Gabriella's mom really stole the show <laughs> from me here? No, I'm just kidding. Um, I really, I'm not in love with any of the parents in this movie, so I probably would go with Jimmy, just really? because you know he's a real character and I, I, I like his hustle. Um, you know, I think you hear that hey, he's paying these kids 200 bucks a week. It's big money. Another 200 bucks if they win a competition. And then he just throws this humble brag in there. He's like, I moved $10 million of product last year with this slave labor of children I'm running here. <laughs> I mean, Jimmy's a fucking legend, really, when you think about it. This guy, is, he's profiting. He's making money. He's got the most notoriable brand in this uh, fantasy universe here. Um, so, hey, if that guy was my dad, well, I think he's a bum. He's making money. So, hey, let's do it. 
you know, I never thought of it like that. I think if Jimmy was my dad, we'd be fighting over the hair gel in the morning and maybe, you know, too heated there. But I'm going to give it to Robin Riker. I think Maddie Brinker is just the quintessential supportive mother, empathetic, as you mentioned, just super nice, caring, uh, maybe to a fault, honestly. Maybe she should leave this bum of a husband she has who is now on disability. But I really, uh, I think she gave amazing performance. And I'm not just saying that because she's coming on the podcast this week. Uh, let's move into uh, some uh, nitpicks here. I want to start with uh, in the beginning where they spot the guy from Inline Skater Magazine. I yep. did my research. I couldn't find anything on Inline Skater Magazine. Did you read that as a kid? No, I, I did not. And the spot is incredible. <laughs> they actually do this this crafty editing technique uh, with the filming there where they zoom in on the guy's hat and there's this little <laughs> font that says inline skating magazine the whole name they even put magazine on the end i I don't know if the magazine was called inline skating magazine seems a little bit redundant but uh it was i i don't remember if it was jordy who catches it or Petey. but what a spot from like a hundred yards away to read this guy's hat and be like holy shit that guy's from inline skating magazine um so yeah a bit of a nitpick there if jordy just saw a guy with a nike swoosh side would he be like holy shit it's a guy from nike yeah, I, I don't know. It was a big leap there. I mean, the guy had a camera. The camera looked pretty professional. Uh, again, the vision on him, though, incredible. Oh, my God. Uh, who had, I really want to know who has that hat now. I would have loved to maybe buy some Brink gear after the movie, along with my Team Pup and Sud shirt, is get that Inline Skater Magazine hat. Oh, absolutely. Uh, what about Val throws Petey's sneakers on the power line on the first attempt? That's pretty amazing skill there. I never had that happen to me where someone steals my shoes and throws them up on a power line or brings me back to watching like a movie like Like Mike where it gets electrocuted. Uh, did that ever happen to you as a kid? No, never happened to me as a kid. It seems like that was kind of something that died out in the 90s. I, I, I don't know if kids used to throw their own shoes up on power lines. I'm not really sure what the, the bit was there. Uh, hell of a throw from Val, for sure. I think we can all agree with that. Um, just it's just great direction of the throw it's got several rotations before it hits the line um but complete disregard for how much those shoes must have cost Petey's family um but then we get you know gabriella and Petey. do they hook up later i know another unanswered question i'd love to ask the writer uh but you know she comes to his rescue gives her shoes to him i don't know how he fit into her shoes <laughs> she does say though like w- which is great writing i think you got to cover your bases on a lot of uh, parts she says uh if you don't lace them up they might fit you you know <laughs> she's willing to wear her uh, traditional peruvian dress for the rest of the day even though that's not her you know for pd so a little bit of a love affair there oh yeah oh yeah what about and we, we alluded to this again earlier was how did thou not realize there was worms in his sandwich like I understand maybe you're not paying attention. You unwrap the tinfoil. You're talking to your friends. You bring it up to your mouth. Don't you look at your sandwich before you take a bite of it? I always do. I always look at any of my food before (laughs) I take a bite. Um, (laughs) This is completely off topic, but there's this scene in Talladega Nights where he he goes to Applebee's and says he found a whole rat in his Cobb salad. (laughs) Applebee's has rats. And it it just reminds me that you got to look at your food before you eat it because you have no idea what could be in that food. So, yeah, I think most people probably do. I don't know how he missed it. Again, like when Brink puts the worms in there, those worms are going everywhere. Like the worms are definitely out of the sandwich at this point. There's no way that he wouldn't have spotted it. Uh, What about (laughs) there were like grown ass men trying out for Team X Blades coming out of the clubhouse. And then some of the skaters in the final competition 
looked at least 30. The guy on Team G-Force who falls down and gets injured, he looks like 45 years old. Is there an age limit on this competition? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I, you know, uh, clearly the the best people in the country are the, the you know the teenagers in high school, but we have all of these uh, middle aged potentially bums. I'm gonna call them bums because they didn't win the competition uh, that they're also competing against. So I don't know if that's a leg up or a leg down, but there was no discrimination by age when it came to this competition. We talked about did Jimmy really move ten million dollars worth of product? What is he doing now? Did you know who is he? I want to get a. I really want a Jimmy spinoff. That's what I'm really saying. See, Jimmy's a hustler, and he is <laughs> slinging product out there, which is interesting because they had a lot of opportunities to show that the crowd was on board with a certain team, especially when you're selling, you know, memorabilia and gear for Team X Blades. Nobody in any audience at any of these competitions was ever wearing anything for Team X Blades, so I don't yeah. know who, who around the country was purchasing this gear for, you know, up to $10 million in the previous year, but they really didn't do a good job showing it in the movie. Um, but, you know, this guy, he's a character. You want to know more about him. You know, he tries to get Brink to come at the end when he fires Val, and it doesn't work, but I'd love to see more from this guy. I want to see Jimmy's Shark Tank pitch where he comes on. He's like, look, I have $10 million worth of sales. I'm paying these kids $200 a week. The margin on this is incredible. Who's in? And I think he probably would have got a shark or two to go in with him on this one. What do you think? I think he's getting all five sharks. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Bringing an extra shark in because there's only four on the show. Uh, and they're all saying yes because this guy is a hustler. And he is making, like you said, incredible margins. He's not paying anybody anything. He's got trucks coming in, <laughs> offloading all this product. I don't. Maybe I don't know, Maybe he's laundering money. Who knows? But yeah, uh, the guy's making money for himself. Yeah, when I bring it up, I don't want to spoil my interview with Jeffrey Blake, the actor who plays Jimmy, but he may talk about you know where that character is today. So I'll stay tuned there. Uh, no contract in these Team X Blades deals. That seems a little sketchy. No parent consent forms. Jimmy just takes Brink's word for it. He's like, hey, your parents are on board with this, right? He's like, oh, yeah, they're fine. He's like, okay, then let's get to work. Well, you know, I took a business law course that I slept through in college, <laughs> and uh, I happen to know a couple lawyers. I don't know if you know any, but uh, I believe they call this a handshake agreement. Um, he does extend the hand out at the end, make sure the parents are on board with it. Obviously, they weren't. He's a minor. I don't know if this is legal. You'd have to tell me more on that. Uh, but the hands did shake, so from my perspective, uh, I think that's a good deal there. Um, that's all you really need for the contract. And he, he was living up his end of the bargain. You know, I saw him pull that cash out. Hey. You guys got the win, $200. <laughs> so from my contracts class in law school, and I could just be butchering it, I believe contracts made into by minors are voidable only by the minor. So Jimmy's kind of out of luck, but if Brink wants to walk away at any point, he's able to do so. Uh, what about, you know, Brink just needed this money for his family. Wouldn't his friends have understood if he just told them like, hey, you know, my parents are really struggling right now. My dad's out of work. My mom's not showing any houses. You know, this $200 a week, as much as I hate Val and Jimmy, I need this money. I know he tells Gabriella later after he's, you know, outed, but why couldn't he just tell them, hey, this is my family situation? Yeah, you know, I think that was part of why they were so angry with him is because he just didn't come clean about it. Um, you know, he tried to, but Petey's stepdad was like, get the fuck off the phone <laughs> right when Brink was going to spit it out. Um, also underrated in that scene. I think Petey has this giant bowl of like Skittles or M&Ms that yeah. he's eating with a can of soda and he's just fuck he's fucking pounding them in his bed. Uh, so hats off to him for <laughs> being able to handle that much sugar. But, 
yeah, you know, I think they're upset that he didn't come clean. He didn't tell them right off the bat. He was going behind their back. He was lying to them. So I think Gabriella said it best when she said, you know, we all need the money, but fuck your dad's back. <laughs> you ain't skating for team exploits. What about at the first Invitational where Brink is wearing the sunglasses? He's trying to maybe show that, you know, he's trying to be discreet, trying to be anonymous. But then the announcer goes, and up next, Andy Brinker. <laughs> like, come on, there's no point of having that disguise. Yeah, you know, funny thing is, though, it worked on Jordy and it worked on Petey. <laughs> they had no idea who he was when they showed up. Um, they came in, I think they said, that guy's not Korean. But that was that was as far as they could realize about who it was. Of course, Gabriella, the, the intelligent one there, immediately saw through the sunglasses and was like, that's fucking Brink there. And I'm going to fucking shove him to the ground in a second. But, uh, <laughs> you know, short of the mustache and the sunglasses there, because there was no mustache disguise, uh, the sunglasses were probably as good as he could do. Uh, they looked terrible. I don't know if that was a 90s look as oh, far as sunglasses awful. go. You'd never catch anyone wearing them today. Uh, I think Val said it best when he was like, what the fuck is that? Brink said, it's a look. What's wrong with the look? <laughs> I think it, everyone was thinking the look is bad. That's what's wrong with the look. Uh, but a, pr- a pretty half-assed attempt at the disguise. Eh? You know, They saw right through it. I love when Briggs explained to his friends, he's like, yeah, I heard he's Korean. He's a big guy, at least six feet. No, 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 he's Native American. Like, why is he just shitting on these other ethnicities here? But uh, let's move on. Can you get four-month advanced salary? I know when he brings the new gear from Puppin Suds to his crew, he's like, yeah, I had to take a big advance. And they're like, how, how, how long advance? He's like, four months. What company, especially some small pet grooming company, is going to pay him four months in advance? Yeah, you know, I've always wondered that um, in all the jobs I had growing up, that was never the case. Um, maybe because I worked for big corporations, I don't know. Target wasn't advancing me my pay at any point when I was 16. Uh, maybe the mom and pop shops were more understanding. Like, hey, this kid's having struggles. He has to buy this new skating equipment for his friends. So let us, you know, give him a little bit of a loan. I don't know if this is like indentured servitude. They have him, you know, hooked up for four more months. He's got to keep washing the dogs. Um but yeah, I don't know that that's something that's consistent in, in today's day and age. If people actually do that, or if they ever actually did that, I'm not sure. Yeah, I maybe asked for an advance when I was working at the Jewish Community Center in Westchester. My boss, John O'Brien, just said, what the fuck did you say? Get back to work. So yeah, that definitely definitely wasn't kosher. Yeah, you said, oh, yes, sir, right away, sir, and just <laughs> left the office and never mentioned it again. What about, does ESPN2 cover middle school, high school skating events? Is that more for like ESPN8, the Ocho? Well, this, um, I don't know if you remember, this is actually the biggest skating competition <laughs> of the year. Uh, I don't know if you caught the name of it either. It's not just like an inline skating competition. It's aggressive inline skating competition, <laughs> which I think Val lives up to and maybe Brink doesn't as much. But uh, this is a pretty big deal, and ESPN had to be there to cover it. This is the last one I had. The screen goes dark. Right as Val knows, this is when I could beat the shit out of him. He starts punching him, starts pushing him into cars. Do you think Val knew this all along, or did he know that the screen was going to cut out at that perfect point so now he could get away with all this cheating? I mean, Val does his due diligence, so we have to give him credit for that. Um, he knew the perfect corner to throw the gravel on for the you know, the first unofficial downhill race between Gra- Gabriella and Brink, um, and he knew where the, you know, the cameras were cut out and the blind turn would be here. Everyone seemed to know it was a blind turn, so maybe that was like from previous year's competition. They kind of had that in the back of their head, but... Uh, definitely leave some question there. So let's move on. I don't know if you had any more nitpicks, but let's move on to the best quote. What uh, quotes did you have? Oh, I, I, it's 
it captures the whole movie for me. Uh, it's, again, part of my favorite scene. They're going head-to-head right before the downhill race. Val's doing the head turn. Uh, and Brink looks at him and he says, yeah, but no matter what, win or lose, at the end of the day, I'm not you. So it's still a good day. I mean, Brink went hardcore there. That is way over the line oh my uh, god to say, to say to another human being you know at the end of the day at least i'm not <laughs> you. so it's still a good day i mean is val that big of an asshole i don't know uh and that right. line that line really means something else because given we'll get to this but you know sam horgan the actor who plays val has had a lot of trouble growing up and um he's gone through a messy divorce he's lost custody of his kids he's been in and out of uh, psychiatric hospitals dealing with depression Reading that line now, it's kind of sad because, you know what, you can't help but think maybe if him and Brink had switched roles, maybe he'd be on a different path right now. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's tough to say, you know, but obviously when you're acting at such a young age and you're playing a certain type of role, um, I, I don't know if that sort of, you know, helps form you in your formative years, but... I wonder also if he got a lot of hate for this movie for being the villain in Brink, uh, for something that was so widely watched and so highly regarded as far as Disney Channel original movies go. Um, you know, I wonder if he struggled with a hard time after that of you know being the asshole in the movie. So you know, you feel for him a little bit there. And when you look back at that quote, um, even when I when I watch it this morning again, uh, it, it hurts you a little bit inside to hear him say that to Val. Oh yeah. Uh, what other quotes did you have, or should I read off some of mine? Now let's get some of yours. I mean, that was my favorite, so I had to put that one. So I love when in the beginning of the film, uh, Brink's dad, Ralph, is like looking at Brink, who's just the most happy-go-lucky guy in the world, and he's like, no one should be that happy all the time. Now you see, Katie is a normal child. Today's the first day of school, and she's miserable. You know, and I think that just, we get a lot of jokes from uh, Ralph in this. I love, this is another one that kind of subs up the film. Brink, this doesn't even make sense. When you woke up this morning, did you say to yourself, today I'm going to talk or today I'm going to skate? I mean, that is, you know, Gabrielle throws that quote back at him later on in the movie. That is a classic one. Uh, I don't know if they were going for like a lowered level of joke for the children that are watching the movie. Uh, I actually think that that's great writing there. Um, It plays into a a big role in the movie. And, And on your first quote, actually, my favorite part about him saying that is that later in the movie, he goes back and he's like, no kid should be this sad all the time when he's talking about Brink after he gets the job at a uh, Pup and Suds. So I, I thought great writing there to bring that one back home full circle. God, we're already at an hour and we're not even halfway done. I know I joked about this on Benji's podcast, the one that we did um, on Smart House, but this is going to be over and I have no problem with it because Brink deserves it. Uh, let's keep reading some of these. I have Val. Why is it that losers are always in it for the fun? And I think that sums it up really well, although... Can't you have fun and also win the race? No, no, Val had it right there. Um, it's it's a classic participation trophy mentality. You know, when you're not the one on top, you're not the one winning. Cert, you know, all of a sudden it's just about fun. You know, oh, yeah. I'm not here to win. I'm just here to have a good time. I'm not buying it. I'm with Val 100% on that. What about when uh, uh, Brink finally joins Team X-Blades and he's bringing back the gear and Katie, the nosy sister, is like, what's in the bag? And he's like, none ya. And she's like, none ya? None ya business! <laughs> and he delivers the line very poorly, I must say. Uh, watching that scene, I love the writing, the delivery, not so much there. 
uh, for Brink. Uh, this might be my favorite of the film. Uh, when Brink gets suspended, of course, for the street race at school, after the race, Brink goes to his dad and he asks, you know, explain what happened. And Brink just says, Val and his crew were dissing us. We started giving them beef right back. They wanted to hit it hard right at the school. Clearly, we couldn't step off, so we had to battle. And Brink's dad just goes, don't they teach you English at your school? <laughs> <laughs> Which really summarizes the divide. I know I had this with my parents growing up in the 90s where I'd be saying stuff at school, maybe mad, cool, peace out. And, of course, my parents just didn't get what I was saying. Yeah, and, and Brink's dad, later in the movie, he tries to throw some cool <laughs> lingo back, and, and Brink actually looks him dead in the eyes, and he's like, ah, come on, Dad, you know no one talks like that. Um, but, yeah, just phenomenal writing there. Uh, and then in the opening credits, this is a very quick line, but I love it, is when Gabriella says, when Brink's not there, she says, maybe he got kidnapped by aliens, and then Jordy just says, don't joke, that happened to one of my uncles. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, I, I think one of your topics is going to be who won the movie. And my answer to you is Jordy won the movie because Jordy is a fucking bum. And every friend group has that bum who's just he do, he's not really in the know. He's not all there in the head. He doesn't really know what's going on all the time. But he hits with these one liners and these just ridiculous takes that it makes you love Jordy. Like you feel a little bad for him, but you love him at the same time. Uh, good guy. We all know a Jordy. They're not a Jordan, but they're a Jordy. And they're always the same. And they're always like the Jordy that's in Brink. Uh, my last one is just when Val comes across Team Puppin' Suds at the final race. He's like, it's Team Puppin' Suds. And his boy goes, I heard you guys get paid in kibbles and bits. <laughs> <laughs> and what an epic burn there by uh, Team X-Blades. That was a good one. I mean, uh, you know, they put a lot, of, a lot of thought into how they wrote this movie. Um we got to find this writer. This guy, he's a legend to me. One of my favorite movies of all time from the Disney Channel. Um, again, the jokes, they still hit. They're still funny today. So for something to be timeless like that is just phenomenal. Let's move into some unanswerable questions. And I want to start with, is Brink really that great a guy? You know, he keeps stopping the races to help people. Is he really doing this because he knows he's going to lose the race? Is he doing this for maybe alternative reasons? Is Brink really a great a guy as he, as he seems throughout the film? You know, I want to say no, he's not. And it's hard for me to say that because I'm looking for that ulterior motive. Like, what's he going for here? Is he trying to win the girl over? You know, is he trying to look like he's a good guy in front of the girl? But there's no girl here for him in this movie. Um, so it just leads me to say I think he's a good guy. You know, he has his struggles like anybody else does. But genuinely at heart, you know, he's looking out for everyone's well-being. Did Brink ever give the X-Blades money to his family? We don't see that throughout the film. Did he just pocket that money? Yeah, it's it's definitely an unanswered question. Um, I would like to believe he was giving it to his family under the guise of like, hey, this is money I'm getting from the pet shop where I'm washing pets. You never see it. I don't know if he was hiding it. Obviously, it was something he couldn't tell his dad he was doing, and the extra money would have looked a little bit suspect. Um Maybe maybe Brink was banking it for himself, and you know that could be a little bit of a, a dark side to him there. So you mean he's laundering the money through his pup and suds money? So he's coming home with checks of like four hundred dollars, and they're like, I thought they were paying you like ten bucks an hour, and they're like, Oh yeah, I got extra money for grooming some more dogs. Ten bucks an hour. This is the '90s. He's getting five bucks an hour. <laughs> easily. 
he was getting minimum wage. There's no way he was bringing home checks this big. Uh, maybe the dad, he, he was looking the other way, you know, <laughs> pretending he didn't know he was doing the skating thing all along. I'm not sure there. Are these the best team names in any movie? Like Puppin' Suds and Team X-Blades? Yeah, you know, I think, uh, especially for people who grew up in our generation, uh, what an iconic name Team Puppin' Suds is. I mean, uh, I think it was a couple of years ago I did like a Halloween costume contest at, at a bar and people were dressed up uh, in Team Puppin' Suds outfits, you know. So it's something that, you know, people are carrying with them. It's an iconic name. Um, something maybe I think they should have tried to make a little bit more money off of. What is Jimmy up to now? Do you think he's in jail for fraud? Is he money laundering? What is he, what is he doing right now? Yeah, I don't know that what he was doing with these kids was 100% above board. Um, I think uh, Val going full villain during the race might have exposed Team X-Blades a bit, opened them up to a little bit more scrutiny from the public. Um, but I'd have to imagine he's out there with his, you know, his next big scheme. And I know we alluded to this earlier, but if if Sam and then Eric switch roles where Sam's playing the role of Brink and Eric playing Val, do you think Sam's life would have turned out different? I think so, yeah. You think so? I think it's it's hard to play the villain and answer to that in your real life. Because people just, they don't know that you're an acting. They just assume that this is who you are as a real person. So if you saw Val on the street, you would just immediately think, oh, that guy's a fucking douchebag, even though he could be the nicest guy in the world. Yeah, and he kind of looks the douchebag part too, which is good on the casting team's uh, <laughs> hand, but yeah, I can see that. Would you sign up to be on Team X-Blades and make 200 bucks a week, or are you a soul skater at heart? Nah, no, I'm in it for the money. <laughs> I'm going Team X-Blades all the way. I want the girls. I want the gear. I want the money. I want the fame. I want to be in Inline Magazine. I want it all. <laughs> uh, let's move into some uh, half-assed internet research here, and uh, as you could tell, it was shot in Venice in Santa Monica. Brink was apparently based on the 1865 novel Hans Brinker or the Silver Skater. I don't know if you knew this, but I looked up the quick plot synopsis of this book, and it says, In Holland, poor but industrious and honorable 15-year-old Hans Brinker and his younger sister Gretel earn to participate in December's great ice skating rink on the canal. Do you see a lot of maybe draws from that 1865 book there? Yeah, it seems like it's a complete copy. I did not know that. Uh, interesting. I was wondering how they were going to tie skating back into the 1800s because I'm like, I'm pretty sure inline skating didn't exist. It makes a lot more sense that it was ice skating, but um, I'm not going to let this take away from the movie for me. Uh, I still think the writing is genius to adapt that into the modern time. Oh, yeah. And apparently this was on the internet as well, but I don't think it's true. They say that the 2011 video game Brink, which just looks like a first-person shooter game, was based on the movie, and it's because there's some skating in the video game, but it looks nothing alike, so I'm going to discredit that one. Um, we mentioned about Sam Horgan in 2019 lost custody of his kids, going through a messy divorce. He's been battling alcohol addiction. I would encourage my uh, listeners to go check him out on Instagram. He's been posting a lot of kind of encouraging messages about recovery. So I really do. I hope he gets back on the right track. This is probably the best fact I found. And I hope it's true. A boomer played by Walter Emanuel Jones was 28 years old when they shot Frank. <laughs> <laughs> wow. When uh, Eric Von Detten, who plays Brink, was only 16. But honestly, he looks great. Wow. That's all I have to say to that. Is, wow. I had no idea. It's a little creepy that a 30-year-old yeah. man was playing this role, but you know, I, I think that that's happening more and more in acting, and I'm sure that that happened in the past quite a lot, too. Oh, yeah. 
And then in 2012, uh, Complex uh, ranked the film number one in the magazine's list of the top 25 Disney Channel original movies. In December 2015, Entertainment Weekly ranked it number four. Uh, we'll get into this. I don't want to touch on it now because we're going to bring it up when we talk about, you know, where did this rank? But just interesting to note some of these publications and where they put it. Uh, let's get into some Apex Mountain here. Let's start with Eric Von Detten, who, of, of course, plays the iconic role of uh, Andy Brink Brinker. I don't know if you knew this, but he played the voice of Sid from Toy Story. You know, I did not know that. I actually looked that up. I have to go back and rewatch Toy Story to see if I can, like, draw that connection there. I never did as a child. I never did in my adulthood. I need to see it for myself. I don't really believe it, but I did see that on his IMDb. And for my listeners who don't remember Toy Story, Sid was the sadistic bully and a, such a different role from Andy Brink Brinker. You're right. I definitely have to rewatch it and see if I could spot that voice because this is a total 180 of roles. Uh, he's also appeared at, as a voiceover actor in Recess, as told by Ginger, The Wild Thornberries, Ah, Real Monsters. But I think he last acted in 2010. What would you give, you know, out of all these things that he's done, what was his apex? Was it Brink or was it Toy Story? I, Toy Story is a huge movie. I did not know he was in it. I mean, I think that would have to be it. Obviously, for me, it's Brink, just because that's the biggest thing that I knew that he was in that I had watched. But, um, I mean, Toy Story, I'm sure, made hundreds of millions of dollars, so far exceeding anything he could ever have done in Brink. Oh, yeah. But I guess, you know, like we mentioned, you can't really spot him from his voice. This was a live action. You get to see him in Brink. So Brink probably was his apex. Uh, what about Sam Horrigan, who plays Val? He was Spike from the movie Little Giants. He had a small role in the movie Accepted. Uh, he was in an episode of One Tree Hill, Modern Family. It looks like he last acted in 2017. Uh, what do you think? What's his apex? You know, I think after that, he actually acted in one more thing with Eric Von Detten as well. Um, yeah. I think it's safe to say he peaked at Brink, and that was that was pretty much it for him. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, let's move on to the uh, the writer of the film, Jeff Schechter, who was a big part of the Care Bears franchise. He wrote the Care Bears Big Wish movie and the sequel, Care Bears Journey to Joke a Lot. I don't know if you watched those. I know they were very big in my childhood. And he also wrote Bloodsport 2. And for any of my listeners who have not watched the movie Bloodsport, it is a fucking unbelievable masterpiece. It's on Netflix right now. It's with Jean-Claude Van Damme. It's an amazing martial arts movie. If anyone's not seen it, the sequel Bloodsport 2 is trash and no one's seen it. So I'll give it to Brink as his uh, apex here. Now, is that Bloodsport 2 dreams come true? <laughs> Alex is of course alluding to whenever I come up with a sequel, I always just add dreams come true to the end of it. It always works. Uh, what about Greg Beeman, the director and he's directed several Disney Channel original movies. He directed Under Wraps, The Ultimate Christmas Present, Horse Sense, Miracle on Lane 2. But he's probably most famous for directing 105 episodes of the TV show Smallville. So Smallville's probably his apex. What do you think? Yeah, I, I would agree on the Smallville uh, sentiment there. Pretty big show, long running. So good for him. Yeah. And then we have David Groff, who played the dad, who unfortunately passed away three years after making Brink. He was at a family wedding, and he had a heart attack at the wedding and passed away, unfortunately. Really sad. Uh, people will know him from the Police Academy movies. He was also in the Brady Bunch movie and Citizen Ruth. I'd probably give it to the Police Academy movies, but again, he died way too young. 
yeah, terrible to hear that. Um, I, I think definitely the Police Academy movies would would have been his apex. We have Robin Riker, who comes on the podcast later this week. She has over 100 credits to her name. Uh, she's been in The Bold and the Beautiful, You're the Worst, Reba. Her, it's like a laundry list. I want to save that for my interview with her. We have Jeffrey Blake, who plays Jimmy. He's also been over in over like 150 things. He was in Forrest Gump, Apollo 13, Ed TV, most recently Midway. Uh, the guy has been in everything. I would just encourage my listeners to go check out his IMDb or Wikipedia page. He's just that guy. When you just see him, you're like, oh, he's from this. But in my heart, Frank will always be his apex. I mean, I'm surprised he didn't win an award for that performance. <laughs> and then we have uh, Walter Emanuel Jones, who plays Boomer. He was actually the Black Power Ranger on the TV show Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. He was also in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But I think as the Black Ranger in, in Power Rangers, that's got to be his apex. Oh, absolutely. Hell of a career for him. Um, <laughs> I hope he keeps it going. Especially uh, 30 years old playing 16. That's, uh, you know, this guy could act forever. You're never too old to play 16. <laughs> Let's get into uh, who won the movie. I know you alluded to Jordy, but is that your uh, real answer here? No, my real answer is definitely Val. Um, I think Val steals the show. Uh, again, the quintessential movie villain who you love to hate and just an excellent performance all around. He really sells the role. Um, he got into it. And, uh, you know, he, he makes you uh, he makes you want to hate him. So yeah. if you're playing a villain and you want I, I'm hating you, you're doing a good job. <laughs> yeah, I'd give it to Sam Horgan as well. I definitely think he won the movie. Uh, such a, a guy you love to hate. You know, he kind of summed up if you just put an image of 90s bully. It's his face that comes up, honestly. And there's so many great bullies, and that's saying a lot. So let's get into, you know, where does this movie rank out of all the Disney Channel original movies? Um, I think we're both going to probably have the, the answer here. I think you could arguably say this is the best. And I know a lot of my listeners would want to throw in a Xenon or a Smart House or a Cadet Kelly. But I think it's arguably this or Johnny Tsunami. Um, where does this rank for you? Yeah, this is a... Uh... I have top two with Johnny Tsunami. Um, I would probably would put this one above Johnny Tsunami. Um, so that's my one-two. Yeah, that's my one-two as well. Depending on the day of the week, maybe it flips, but I think I think Brink's the best. I really do. I think between the music, just the skating culture, uh, the performances, Val, you know, I just, this is an all-time classic. Um, and I want to bring up, do you know other children's movies that were released in the year 98? Or should I read off a couple for you? Uh, give me a couple of these. So this was the year of Mulan, the classic, uh, A Bug's Life, Ants, Polly, which is one of my sister's all-time favorite movies, The Parent Trap, Jack Frost, a Rugrats movie, and Air Bud Golden Receiver. So I'm curious, you know, if Brink was released in theaters as opposed to being a TV movie, would it hold up with these other films? Uh, no, I don't think it would. I think a lot of the appeal to Brink was the, uh, I, I guess you had to have cable, but the free-to-watch aspect of it, which made it so widely accessible to people. Um, what a powerhouse year for movies, especially you know for children. I think it's a phenomenal movie. I don't know if it carries over to theaters that well. I, I would agree with that uh, assessment. And it's amazing. Going back and looking at the movie years of 98, 99, 2000, these late 90s, early 2000s. It's just the powerhouse of these films. And if you look back these last few years, I don't even know what you would say for kids programming. It just shows how far we've slipped from the glory years. 
yeah, my, my children will not watch any of today's uh, <laughs> uh, garbage. We, we really grew up during the golden days of, of television and movies. What about, could this be remade as a movie for adults, a sequel, prequel? I know when I watched it, it really reminded me of, and I don't know if you've watched the series, it's on YouTube called Cobra Kai, which is a spinoff of, of course, The Karate Kid. Great movie. And it kind of reminded me where maybe, you know, Val and Sam Horgan could reprise his role and kind of be like the Billy Zapka and maybe start Team X-Blades, maybe with Jimmy, maybe not, and kind of redo this. But instead, maybe he's down on his luck. Maybe he's been a drunk, very similar to his own personal life, similar to Billy Zapka and Cobra Kai, and kind of redo a team in his own image. Would you Would you watch that? No, absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> no, I, I put a lot of thought into, I don't think the movie needs a remake. Um, I don't think it probably holds up well in today's day and age, just because kids aren't going out as much anymore and playing uh, in the streets or skating. And I don't think that, you know, this sport really, you know, holds up in the the 2020s. Um, a spinoff, I could see it working, but I don't know that the audience is big enough. It's, it's hard to hold that up to how many people have seen The Karate Kid um, and wanted to see that reboot, that spinoff, um, in their later years. Now, I do want to know what happens to Val after the movie ends. Uh, I don't know that that warrants, you know, an entire show or spinoff. <laughs> and again, I want to uh, allude to an interview I have with Jeffrey Blake, who plays the role of Jimmy, and he talks about maybe working on a on a sequel right now and possibly writing a script for it. So stay tuned for my episode on that. Uh, I ask all my guests, does this movie live up to how you remembered it as a kid? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would not have watched it nine times in the last three weeks <laughs> if it didn't hold up. I mean, I, I could watch that movie on repeat, and it is fantastic every time. Uh, Alex, thank you so much for joining the Relunchables podcast. I have one final tip for you, and that's skate better. Skate better. <laughs> skate better. Why didn't I think of that? Well, Soul there you have it. Life. Soul Skaters for Life, Big Al. Yeah, the, the cheesiest ending to an, an amazing movie. The ending could have used some work. The guy got sloppy. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you love to cringe at it. Right. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I'd love to come on again uh, for Johnny Tsunami. I got my Hey, Pono impression ready to go. <laughs> um, so, yeah, just thanks for having me on. I uh, really appreciate it. Great podcast. A lot of fun. I would like to thank my guest, Alex Heyman, for coming on the podcast. You can subscribe to the Relunchables podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave us a rating or review, five stars only. This week, we'll also have on not one, but two special guests, Robin Riker, who plays the role of Brink's mom, Maddie, and Jeffrey Blake, who plays the iconic Jimmy, my personal MVP of the film. So stay tuned. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V 
on YouTube.